Amen. Who's, who's excited to be in church today? Anybody? Okay. All right. Just check. Hey, this isn't going to work. Why do you have the handle if it doesn't? You know, what's funny is uh, I noticed um, Johnny Fagan's in here on time today. And it's... And, and, and Pastor Rob happens to be here today, and it's the first time. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Well, okay, I just got to call Pastor Rob to get John. All right, I see how this works. Pastor Rob, I'm going to need you to come every now and then to make sure everyone stays in line. Oh, boy. Hey, we've been in a really fun series um, talking about what God is really like. Has anyone been challenged the last couple weeks? Getting encouraged, anybody? Yeah, okay, a couple people. Okay, good, good, good. <clears throat> we are going to continue in that today, and I want to take, uh, if you've noticed on your notes, it says uh, the, the title under there is Suffering, so we're going to make this a short sermon. <laughs> I was thinking maybe we could take, you know, five, seven minutes and just get it over with, right? Because, I mean, who wants to talk about suffering? I mean, you know, let's just get onto the good stuff about, oh, Jesus is my Savior. He loves me, and we're going to have a happy life, and he's going to give me everything I want, and... <sighs> All right, let's get into it. Well, uh, let's pray and ask God's help, because suffering um, is a tough subject. So, Father, we love you. Uh, Holy Spirit, we honor your presence here today. Holy Spirit, guide and direct my words, guide and direct our hearts as we listen and hear. Father, may your Holy Spirit direct all that. Be the uh, orchestra leader, God, Lord, and help us uh, get in our hearts what you would like today. <clears throat> and Father, we pray this and, and we ask for your help in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, uh, Tuesday, we're in the Bible study, so if you're in that Bible study, we are in chapters 4 or 5, or 4, 5, and 6, I believe, so make sure you're read up. Great stuff um, in there, and uh, just so you know, we have uh, three of those groups going, by the way, um, up in Paradise, um, uh, Pastor Craig and his family. They got 10 people going to this little uh, study, and then we, I got, we're doing a study with the Logans and the Leahy's, because they live down closer to us, so we're doing a small group down there, and we're doing another one on Tuesday, so... We're having a blast. I hope you're enjoying it, and get involved if you can. You know, uh, we talk about uh, what God is really like, <clears throat> and we've been talking about each week why it is so important to know what God is really like. And today, as we're going to, in a few minutes, look at the suffering part, the not-so-famous uh, or exciting part about, about walking the walk of Christ. But uh, before we do that, I want us to refocus ourselves on why it's so important to know what God is really like. You, you, ever, you hear the scripture, it's familiar to you. It says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? <clears throat> so our faith, which is really trusting what God says will happen no matter what you see in the physical, right? You're trusting God. We're having faith in him. We're relying on him, and that comes through hearing the word, which is the testimony about what God is like, the word of God, the Old Testament manuscript, Psalms, the book of Job that we've been in, the New Testament, the letters to the churches from uh, the apostles, are all about describing and telling us really what God's like. In fact, <clears throat> one of the main reasons we discussed that God even sent Christ was so that we could really learn and know, okay, what's God really like? Because Jesus spent most of his time telling us what God and the kingdom was really like, right? Because they, they kind of messed it up. In fact, they had gotten so steeped in their traditions that the traditions that they learned from their forefathers got so much further and further away from the truth of the law of God that they were doing stuff that didn't, God didn't even want. In fact, led them astray from God. And so the traditions of man, if we're not careful, can lead us astray from the heart of God. And Jesus had to send his heart to us in Christ to say, go get back to my heart. That's why John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that they may know, intimately know him, right? You're going to get sick of that verse because I'm going to say it all the time until each one of them in this place is madly in love with Jesus and it shows. That's a big difference, right? It's got to show. <laughs> so as we know God, we know if we learn God through his word, we learn about his character, 
And as we're confident and we grow in the knowledge of God's character, then we have more confidence when we're trying to walk in faith, right? We're trying to believe God. We're trying to win our neighbors to to Christ. We're trying to win our community, right? We're trying to lead our families. We're trying to uh, witness it in the schools. And we're trying to do all this stuff for God, but we're going to have more confidence in that and belief as we get to know intimately God, know his character. And in your first bullet point we talked about last week, God isn't testing you. He's preparing you. Big difference. We talked about the fact in James chapter 1 where it talks about the fact that God is not testing you. Why? Well, he's all-knowing. He already knows what you're going to (laughs) do. He don't need to test you. And, And he plainly said in there that he doesn't test. He doesn't use evil to test. But it's by our own desires that we get in all sorts of trouble. But God isn't testing you. He's preparing you. He's preparing you to rule and reign with him, amen? Guys, if you, if you get real honest here, you know, I've um, been praying for Greg and his mom and, and the struggle there and believing for him, and I, I, I'm directly in with you because my mom just passed, and knowing that uh, it kind of, you know, draws us together and knowing that, that there's life after death and that this life is short. It's not very long, and I was believing for 10 more years for my mom. Didn't quite get a hold of that promise, but I was believing for it, but nonetheless... It's this big. If this is eternity, it's a speck of dust. You know what I'm saying? So we have to get to know God. We have to realize that God is preparing us for much more than just to live a life here on earth. Just to, you know, solve all the stresses and problems of this life. And this life is about two things. Getting the gospel out, right, so others know about Christ, and getting to know him. And in that knowing, we get prepared for an eternity Johnny, an eternity of ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. He's going to give us responsibilities. He's going to give us things we're going to be doing for him, and it's going to be the time of your, you think a good, think of the best time in your life, multiply it times a million, it's going to be, be what heaven's going to be about. It's not going to be an eternal praise and worship set, by the way, too. That's a big misnomer. We think, oh, we're going to get heaven, and all we're going to do is sing songs the whole time for eternity. That doesn't sound very fun. I don't. I mean, I love music. I, I play drums. I love it. I love music. I love worshiping. But there's many, many forms that we can actually worship God in, and a lot of that's going to be doing his will and bidding and ruling and reigning with him. I'm excited about that. I mean, because as the times, you know, as they are and, and where they're heading in our country and the, the strife and turmoil that, uh, that, uh, that the, the, this country is in right now, trying to, trying to figure out who we are, trying to figure out if we're going to be a, I don't think, I don't believe we're a Christian nation anymore, but um, we're, we're sure fighting for it. We're sh- I sure want it to be. I sure want us to go back to that, but we've got to do more than just stand up against abortion and gay marriage and all these things. That, that's superficial to the fact that we've got to know God. We've got to make God our God. He's got to be our true king and president of presidents, right? He's got to be the master and the Lord of every life. Then we'll have a country that's God-fearing, right, and looks like God. So, <clears throat> so last week uh, we talked about these, and I want to review these really quickly. Uh, five important questions we discussed in Job, because this was crucial to your understanding about the book of Job, which we're going to continue in because there's great stuff in Job. Man, we got his three friends coming up. Well, I don't know if they're friends, really. (laughs) But they were called three friends. And then we got this fourth guy, mysterious guy that no one really talks about. He also talked, too. You know, and then we got God at the end jumping in, closing down the the house right at the end. So we've got a lot of cool stuff we're going to see in there. But setting up the story in Job chapter 1 is so important to understand what we're dealing with. The first one was, what was Satan up to? Remember in verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered to the Lord, uh, going to and fro on the earth and walking around. What a loser. He's, he's like a little kid. Hey, Johnny. Sorry, Johnny, I'm using you a lot. That's just, it's, it's like a cliche word, little Johnny, you know, little Mikey. Oh, wait, I can't say that either, uh, you know. Little kid, little, I'll call my son's Justin. We called him Juju. Little Juju, where, where have you been? Oh, nothing, Dad, just, you know, just doing this and that and no, you was in the kitchen getting cookies. That's what you were doing. You know, the kids just want to go. That immaturity, that, that deceptive heart, right, that all kids have in us. We all grew up with that wanting to not, oh, I don't want my parents to find out. This is kind of what the enemy was doing. The Lord knew where he was. Did God have to ask him that question? No. 
where, what are you doing, Satan? What, what were you doing? Oh, just looking around. He was looking and trying to find a way in because he hated Job. He was trying to find a way in, a breach somehow. Oh, but God, you've, you've put this fence around him. and oh, He was mad. And so we see that Satan was really looking for a way. And we talked about last week the fact that Satan in his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, is out to take us out. They hate us. And we, we got to just get that as a fact, right? It, it's just a common fact. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's we're fighting against light and darkness. There's a kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell. There is a battle. The, ba- the, the main battle has been won in Christ, but still, we are still working and fighting. We're supposed to fight the good fight of faith until Christ comes back, right? So even though we have this huge victory on Calvary that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, done over every power and principality, everything uh, is under the feet of Christ, right? And we're the church. Isn't that good to know that everything is under the feet of Christ, and if you're in Christ, all that kingdom has to submit unto you. Ooh, man, that's some powerful stuff. So we looked at that. Then next, we, we asked the question, what is God really saying? And this was my key understanding when I first got into studying this, is verse 8 says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in all the earth, blameless and upright, uh, who fears God and turns away from evil? Now, we, remember we read the whole passage as one whole thing? And it really was easy to go, well, what's God doing? He's like, hey, check out Job. Why don't, why don't you come, let's mess with Job. Let's see how, how faithful he really is. No, 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 God, that's not what God was saying at all. And we looked at the intent of the, of the Hebrew there, which says the better translation was out of the um, literal translation of the Bible, which said, have you set your heart upon my servant Job? So the, the Lord was saying, have you, you've been walking around trying to get Job out, right? Because you don't like him because he's righteous and he's loving me and he's seeking me. You ever feel that way? The more you're seeking God, the more you're pressing in, wanting to please him. And you feel like, man, the, the, all these things are coming at me all sideways. Yeah. So when you press in, we think that we get saved. Hey, everyone, close your eyes. Raise your hand. Ask Jesus in your heart and then your life's going to be so good. <laughs> I feel so bad because I've said that myself, and it, it's not right. Your life is going to be tough. Your li- you've got challenges coming. Jesus promised you persecution. Now, yeah, on one half, yes. I mean, you get saved, born again, you're set. You're, you're, oh, man, it's good stuff. There's a lot of great stuff. But at the same time, we've got to be a little more honest with our new converts before they join up and say, look, you need to get saved, but I, I want to warn you. I want you to count the cost before you do this because this is a big deal. And you're going to have a fight on your hands. The fight of your life. So we saw God wasn't saying, hey, have you thought about tweaking on Job for a little bit? Seeing if we can make him so miserable he'll uh, deny you? No, that's not what God's doing. God doesn't use evil to test. He doesn't test. He doesn't have to do that. And then we went on and we looked at Job's hedge. Uh, The next verse in verse 10, Satan talked about a hedge, which is kind of cool because to know that God protects us, God, there is a shield around about us, the Psalms uh, 3, I believe it talks about. Psalms 34, we talked about the angel of the, of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Wasn't that exciting to know that you can be at home by yourself and have something kind of spook you and go, no, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear me. I fear the Lord. I'm, I'm his. I belong to him. Nothing is going to touch me, right? So are you with me? So there's a protection there. And then we talked about God stretching out his hand, which is a, a key verse in verse 11 and 12. And Satan, remember, was trying to bait him into, um, Satan wanted to get God to do his bidding. He was trying to lure, trap him into saying, well, God, just do this and see if he still likes you. And God's like, no, 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 no. All that he has, Satan, is in your hand, which means dominion, under your dominion. Who gave uh, the right for Satan to antagonize and and try and bully us? Adam and Eve, right? They sinned. They allowed sin into the world. And now we as Christians, because we're still in a world that is governed by him to many degrees, right? Even though Christ is reigning, he hasn't fully reigned. So we have this unique gray area that we as saints are to take the kingdom, right, by force. We're to take what God, the gospel, go love the world, have God come in, and we're supposed to administer his kingdom in this world, but we're still fighting for that ultimate rule where Jesus one day will come and say, all right, done. This is it. I'm in charge. 
You know, and God, God's coming back for a church that's pressing into that. <clears throat> and then we looked at uh, why, why Job's kids were mentioned twice. And that was very interesting as we looked at that. We saw that in verse 4, and then we saw it in verse 13, where to set up the whole story of Job, the, the writer said, hey, I'm going to mention the story that Job was really concerned about his kids. And then right after Satan did what he did and talked to God, the very next verse it says, and there was a day where the kids were partying again. And it was very interesting how that is. And that was a key element in understanding that, the, that we can open doors through many avenues in our life by not being in an alignment with God and not being in alignment with his word and what he uh, has promised and what he said. And I wanted to get in, and for lack of time today, I'm not going to, but um, <clears throat> Job wasn't uh, without any knowledge, right? Okay, so if you study and if you look at the early uh, first three chapters of Genesis, you see um, Cain and Abel, and we talked about that a little bit. But we see that even in Cain, and even in, in chapter 3, the beginning of the world, right, and the, the immediate kids of Adam and Eve, we see Cain and Abel in an interesting dialogue in the whole chapter where he kills his brother. But what's really interesting is what's around that event because God gave him multiple chances to do what was right, told him that sin was waiting at the door and he needed to lord over it. He needed, he needed to do what was right. He brought a gift to the Lord that wasn't prescribed. Jesus, uh, God did not accept his gift because it's not what God told them to bring. It was very clear what kind of sacrifice you were to bring, even for Cain and Abel, okay? That was made very clear when they first sinned, and what did God clothe them with? Animal skin. So that was a, a, a setup of the sacrificial system to have communion. And in fact, in the latter part, if you read in, in Genesis 3, Cain says, oh Lord, this, this is too big for me. This, this, uh, this discipline is too hard, and, and, I, won't be, and I'll, I won't even be able to see your face, and I won't be able to be around you. And it's like, wait a minute. I mean, not only did Cain, or excuse me, God, he disciplined Cain, but you would think he just killed his brother. Shouldn't it be eye for eye and tooth for tooth? Shouldn't a guy go, hey, what did you do that for? Flick, and just flicked him off the earth, right? You, right? I mean, in fairness, but he didn't. He said, look, now, now you're going to have, your penalty is this, but even in then, God said, there's still, you can still, there's still a fellowship, there's still a love between me. It's an interesting thing. Read through chapter 3 of Genesis, and you'll see that this whole sacrificial system, because um, his brother Cain brought the firstling of his flock, and God loved that, but he brought the work of his hands, right? He, he brought something from the produce of his land, which symbolizes our works, our own efforts, our own way to please God. And Cain didn't. He brought what pleased God, which was a sacrifice. You've got to have a sacrifice to have fellowship with God. You have to have a lamb to have fellowship with God, right? The whole Old Testament, you had to bring a lamb to have fellowship. And Jesus is our lamb. So, you know, Jesus, or excuse me, Job did suffer. <clears throat> and so will we. And I want you to look in, I want you to look in uh, Job 2 and see where his three, three friends showed up. Um, by the way, just so you have this in your mind, the three friends, God rebukes at the end for speaking wrong stuff. So when you read through most of the book of Job, which is Job complaining and being ticked, you know, he's rightfully so, and all of his friends telling Job why, he's, why this happened to him, a lot of that, even though it's the scriptures, are things spoken that aren't necessarily true. Do you understand that, right? So the friends are saying, hey, look, you know, this, this is why it happened to you, and that's not necessarily the truth. That's what they said, but God later reproves that and says, no, they spoke without knowledge. And we'll look at that later, of course. But right now we're going to look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, 12 and 13, when his friends come over. And I want you to notice at the end of that section, um, verse 13 it says, and they sat with him on the, on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And hands down, no matter how this came about, no matter all the reasons for why Job did this or not, or no matter what you think about if, why he got what, he, what happened to him, the bottom line is, is that he was hurting. <laughs> and the bottom line is he was suffering. He lost Almost everything, kids, servants, flocks, his own health, he was scraping his sword. I mean, this guy was, it was low. And uh, theologians say that this whole thing probably lasted about nine months. 
this whole ordeal. Even though at the end of nine months, he did get blessed, healed, double, double back what he had before, and, but he didn't get two wives because that wouldn't be a blessing. I mean, you know, that would be crazy. Sorry, I just, my wife's gone. I get myself in trouble when my wife's out here. No. So um, anyway, my wife does say hi. She's at Old Oak Ranch partying with the girls. Nicole's there. Um, Deanna's there. Her friend Shannon went with her, so they're having a good time. Great speakers, great, great time. So should we expect to suffer? Shouldn't we? Right? We should expect to suffer, right? I want you to look at Luke, and you know, because Jesus did warn us about suffering. He warned us about this. He warned us what it would be like, and he told us to count the cost. And in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus is laying it out for you. He's kind of giving you the prerequisite for serving him, and and a lot of times, more than just the once, Jesus made it clear that, look, in order to be my disciple, in order to really love me and know me, you need to count the cost because this is going to cost you everything. Serving me is I am calling you not just to serve me, but I'm calling you to die and become mine. I am calling you to give up everything you have hope in your own mind and world to lay that all aside and to serve me. That's a big call. In fact, you know, when Jesus was in the heart of his ministry, he had a huge following. People were flocking to him because they were all getting healed and set free, right, and fed. <laughs> you know, you, you, you feed people and you get a crowd, right? We have free pizza. Right, Michelle? You do free pizza at youth group, you get, a big, you get more kids, <laughs> you know? So Jesus had this big crowd, and, and uh, Jesus started thinning it out, and at the end, man, he, even Peter was running. Right? So he went from this huge following down to this small group. And we look at this in Luke 14, uh, verse 25. I'm going to read a few verses. And I want you just to read along with me or, or listen. And I want you just maybe even close your eyes and just listen to what Jesus is saying. Not what I'm going to say after this, but, but what Jesus is saying. And he's saying this to you and me. And this is just as uh, alive and active and for them as it is to us. Somehow we think that that was for them in those days. No, the same exact cost of discipleship is present and real right now. We don't get a break because of the country we live in. We don't just, and we are blessed, church. We live in a fabulous country where many of us probably, and I don't know anyone in this room that has truly suffered for the gospel's sake. I mean, I've been called a few names and, you know, little stuff like that. But I've never been jailed, never been beaten up, right? Still got my head on, right? So really, we are blessed, but we have to get to the point in our hearts where we are ready to die. God has called us to be martyrs. He's called us to say, we are ready in our hearts to serve you unto death. That's why we die to ourselves. Right? Paul said, we die daily. We're ready to die for you, God. That's where our heart has to be. He talked about it, and we'll get into some of those verses where you've got to be ready to leave everything. Everything. Kids, wife, job, everything. You've got to give, give it all to me. He's not saying you can have me and then whatever else you want. I'm the Lord or I'm not the Lord. Listen, Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and they're about to dwindle. And he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that's a crowd pleaser. This is, not, this is not included in the church growth seminars right here. Verse 27, Jesus continues, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet far off, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. 
Verse 33. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. I mean, church, in America, Christianity, we've really missed this first part of getting people into the church. We paint a picture, and I'm not just saying here and me, and, and, but I'm guilty of this myself, but I've, I've been in many churches and seen many things that are so, that we try and paint this beautiful picture that, no, just plug, ask, invite Jesus into your heart, and then you'll just have this great Christian life. And no one is saying, no, count the cost. And maybe we should do that with every, maybe we should really talk to our friends and say, are you sure you want to be a Christian? I mean, don't some of our friends, don't you know somebody that you should really just say to them, are you sure you want to be a Christian? <laughs> that, I, I, I can stir up a lot of trouble with this, right? You, you can see that, right? Are, are, you, are you sure you want to be a Christian? Well, 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 well yeah, why? Doesn't look like you've sacrificed it all for him. Have you? Are you flirting with the world? The Bible says friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Friendship with the world, the system of thinking, the way of belief of the world, friendship with that is hatred. Hmm. You know, there's an Iranian church. Um, people who want to join the church have to sign a written statement agreeing to lose their property, be thrown into jail, and martyred for their faith. Many of the Christians there are arrested in Iran and either executed or imprisoned for years. Interestingly, some research shows that Iran has the fastest growing evangelical population in the world. We see a vast difference, guys, from the American culture of church based and talking around the issue of suffering. And we see a huge difference in our church, churches in America that are, that are some, the churches that are growing are growing because they are entertaining, and I'm not talking all, so don't get all technical. A lot of churches are about putting on a good show. We have to have the fabulous, uh, the great, funny, awesome speaker that dazzles us and tickles our ears, and we have to have the great, all these programs, and so we're training thousands of people to come to a building and listen to one guy, never really using their gifts, but coming and hearing the one guy and listening and having a great worship team, a professional thing, and all this stuff, and we call that commitment and suffering for Jesus. We call that deep relationships. Pastor Chris sung, let's go a little deeper, and we call that getting deep with God. Now, I'm not trying to bash any other, I'm not calling out any particular church. I'm calling out the, the precept of the thinking that's in a lot of churches that is getting away from suffering when we need to embrace it. We need to realize that as Christians, we have to embrace suffering for the gospel's sake because our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, said, it's a coming, and if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. So if you're, they're not doing it to you, whose are you? If you're not in suffering, who do you belong to? Hmm. In a book I've been reading, um, I'm going to read a couple things from it today. When asked what the, uh, the author said, when asked what the biggest difference between American church and the church in, in Iraq was this, he had a person go visit and came back and this guy said, what we call sanctification, they call prerequisite. Listen to this. Think about that, because that, that could go many ways, but listen to what he says. In other words, we act as though surrender is a lifelong process where we slowly decide whether or not we will give up certain things to God. <laughs> Meanwhile, the believers in Iraq teach the way Jesus taught. They are required to count the cost, surrender everything up front, otherwise they can't join the church. It's a whole different paradigm of thinking that we in America think, hey, let's just get them saved, get the number, we can check off the box, send it to our office and say, hey, we got 10 people saved. But those 10 people, have they given it all? And they counted the cost and said, here's everything. I'm ready to die for Christ. No. 
big difference. And, and I'm not trying to say, and I'm not trying to bag on our church here or anywhere in America. <clears throat> I'm trying to call it the, the, the huge contrast between what we think is good and right church and what the, the whole world sees church as. Hmm. Listen to a few things Jesus said. Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and rival you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Get mad. Tell people how everybody's bad and they're a bunch of... Oh, no, it doesn't say it. Rejoice. <laughs> Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner their fathers did, not, uh, did to the prophets. <clears throat> Jesus said, you're blessed when people hate you. Hmm. Matthew 24, 9 says this, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. I, I want you to begin, and hopefully are, begin to see the shift of thinking that we as a church and as individual believers need to start looking about what suffering is and what it means, that we should be embracing for it and looking for it and rejoicing in the suffering for the gospel, let's talk that real quick. So there's two distinct things in suffering I want you to know today. Because a lot of us <laughs> in the Christian church, a lot of us uh, think that we're suffering for Jesus when we're really just reaping what we sowed. Okay, check this out. So suffering because, in, fill in the blank there under that, suffering because we follow Christ, that's biblical suffering, if you are suffering because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for you standing up for his name and his way of life and his precepts and the word of God, if you suffer because of that, that's suffering for the gospel's sake. What we're not talking about is the second bullet point, suffering because we reap what we sow. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, he will reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You want to eliminate the wrong kind of suffering in your life? Amen, right? Okay. We have to suffer, right? Let's make sure we're suffering for the right reasons. Let's not make sure, because you can go to God and say, Oh God, I'm suffering for your name. And he's like, dude. Quit stressing out, and you'll solve half your problems. The Bible's serious when it says, be anxious for nothing. Can we just stop there? Be anxious and stressed out for nothing. But in everything, make your request known to God. And then at the end there, it talks about his peace will guard your heart. It's an amazing thing, but when the word says something, we can't take it as an, as an option. When I feel like it or up to it, I'll be anxious. But right now, I'm really stressed, and, it's, and you just don't understand my situation, God. So I'm allowed to be stressed. No, you ain't. God's serious. He wants to have life, but you won't experience abundant life until you start taking God's word serious. It is the, the mouth of God speaking. His word is life in it and power. And if you take hold of that and believe it, you can walk in that power and overcome the things that are trying to pull you down. Number one, if you want to get rid of Eliminate un, un, uh, unintended suffering. Number one, I want you to write, write in three things that will probably get rid of that. And we already said one. So stress and anxiety, fear and unforgiveness. Fear, stress, and unforgiveness. If you deal with those with God, you head them face on with the power of the Holy Spirit in you and the word of the Almighty God, you can conquer. You have not been given a spirit of fear right? But of love, power, and a sound mind. Be anxious for nothing. Forgive, and then, then I can forgive you. If you don't forgive, I will not. God says he will not forgive you. If you hold unforgiveness, you are in big trouble. You are messing up the whole system, and you will suffer, but it ain't for the gospel's sake. Amen. 
And a lot of us think, oh, we're suffering. I'm just going through such hard times and oh, wine, wine, wine. No, you're simply not wanting to align yourself with God's word and you're suffering the consequences of what you've sown. Anxious, stress, worry. Oh, I hate you. You're mean. You deserve it. You did something bad, so I got to hold this against you, and I don't care what God's word says. We plant seed after seed after seed, and then we're reaping all these uh, spiritual, emotionally, and physical uh, results of that type of lifestyle, and we wonder, oh, God, I'm suffering. No, you're not. You're not suffering. You're suffering in a different way, but you're not suffering for the gospel's sake. Number two, and this might offend you, it offends me. That's why I wrote it. I like to offend myself. <laughs> the way you eat. Oh, getting a little dietitian on us. Oh, oh, stepping on some toes. Simple food choices. Let me give you an example. Remember Mark and Leanne used to come to our church? Yeah? Okay, Leanne was about 50, 60 pounds heavier than when you saw her. She's been on a uh, keto diet thing. Lifestyle, really, not a diet. And she used to have diabetes, and she used to be on three or four medications. After eating the correct foods, and in moderation, with wisdom that God gave us, she is off all that medicine, okay? So I could say, uh, someone could say to Leanne, pre this, oh, Leanne, poor thing. Gosh, you're suffering. Are you, I'm not trying to be mean, just realistic. Like, we could say that, but then here a year later, she's healthier, sleeping better. Oh, she's off the sleep machine thing too. Totally gone. And all she did is start eating differently. And you look at, you look, if you look at anything, you research it, uh, sugar, uh, I read the other day, sugar, and you might know this, so correct me if I'm wrong. It, I think he said four times more addictive than heroin. Yeah, it, and so we have a sugar-induced uh, culture where everything has sugar in it. We're, so, we're carb overload, and we're eating all this stuff, and it's making us sick, miserable, and on medication. And I'm telling you, oh, my, yeah, i got to go to the doctor again. We'll change, you know, and I, again, have mercy and grace on me, okay? I'm talking about suffering one way and suffering the other. I know it's all suffering. Trust me, I've suffered because I've ate wrong, like two nights ago. I got a gift certificate to Ruth Chris. Oh my. And they, their steaks, has anyone ever been? Their steaks are amazing. And oh man. And, but you know, I mean, me and Jen were like, we had to repent almost. I mean, we were like repenting. God, man, what, we, we didn't seem that much. <laughs> suffering for Jesus, suffering because of our choices. The third one I, I want to is going to be maybe even more offensive, is complacency and laziness. Complacency and laziness. A lot of us get complacent in our spiritual life and our physical life. We get lazy in our physical life and our spiritual life, and we start suffering the consequence of being complacent in our spiritual life and our physical life, and we start reaping what that produces. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Uh, or oh me, or oh holy cow, or let's wrap this up and pray. I wanted to get real because I want us, and I want, I'm on a journey too, guys, to embrace suffering more, because I don't enough. I want to be on a journey to embrace the right type of suffering, because I know Jesus promised it, and I want to be, uh, you know, churches in China, they, they right now, they are, are in prayer meetings that we talked about in this book that I'm going to read some more in, they are... Um, praying and crying out to God, listen, this, this is new Christians, God, send me to somewhere where I, I could die for you. They're asking, this is real, this is documented, this, the, talking to a pastor of many churches and been there and heard the prayers and they're praying, God, send me to a place in, deep in China where they don't know you and where I could be martyred. I will gladly die for you to give them the gospel. I want to be counted glory. When Peter, remember in the prison, they got beaten and then they started jumping for joy because they were, they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. They weren't suffering because of the bad pizza they ate the night before. No, they were suffering because they were counted worthy because they stood up for the name of Jesus and they proclaimed his name despite what the 
current culture was saying. Amen? Despite what the current culture says is right and good, they stood up counterculture. Do you understand how counterly culture Jesus' message was? It rocked his society. I wonder what it would be like today. Preparing for suffering. It could be closer than you believe or understand. The kind of suffering I'm talking about where people get thrown in jail and beat up. That's why it's super important, church, and I'm, I'm, and I'm not unashamedly going to put this out. You need to vote. You need to get out and vote for people that are going to have godly values and principles. They're not, none, of, none of the groups are godly and awesome. But you need to vote for people that at least stand up for the value of the word of God, the marriage, and, and, and not killing innocent new uh, babies that are still in the womb. We've got to make a stand, church. You've got to make a stand. So it's coming closer, so be ready. Four quick things, and then I'm going to read you a couple things from this book, and we're going to close. You need to learn to hear God's voice. <laughs> if you want to prepare yourself for suffering, you need to learn to hear God's voice. We've been talking about that. I have challenged everyone in the church to spend 30 minutes a day being quiet before the Lord with a journal. If you are not doing that, you are setting yourself up for something that's not going to be pleasant. You need to be ready, and you need to hear the voice of the Lord, know the voice of the Spirit, and be ready to act and move on behalf of the Spirit's voice. You need to hear His voice. Amen. Number two, pray. Number three, read your Bible. And four is a fun one, fast. These are four simple things that if you will start instilling in your life today and start proactively making them a part of your life, you're, you're never going to want to fast, church. But I, I highly recommend that you start fasting a meal, you start fasting a day, and you start training your physical body to who's in charge. Because your physical body wants to rule and reign. There's a battle against the spirit and the flesh. And if you don't put that flesh in its place, it'll take over and master you. And you must, by your spirit that lives in you, say, flesh, you're not eating lunch today and you're going to like it. I don't want to hear any complaining. Shut your mouth. We're praying. God's word is my food and he will nourish me. He will sustain me. His word will give me life. You won't. And some of us are so bound by food, we can't, just the thought of fasting blows us out of the water. Well, you're going to go down and not be very successful if true persecution hits, and you really do have to end up suffering for your master. Do anything to start, you can. If you can do one, do it. Start little and get bigger. But you've got to train by your spirit, your flesh, your body was meant to serve the Spirit of God in you, right? The Spirit lives in you, and this body is to go carry out and carry the gospel and be the, the midway uh, piece between your spirit and God and the world. That's why you proclaim, you prophesy about God, you serve, you love people, you give them food, you help, you love, you encourage, you exhort, you preach the gospel. So we have to do that. I want to end with this thought. Now, ask yourself this question because a lot of us haven't really truly suffered for the gospel, me included. As a Christian, why am I not suffering that much? Is it just because of the country I live in? Huh. Why am I not suffering? Maybe this week in your listening times, ask the Lord, Lord, am, am I missing something here? I don't seem to suffer at all for your gospel's sake. And, and he'll start, he'll teach you and go, yeah, a lot of what you thought was suffering, you're suffering because your own choices. And so that'll be a thing the Holy Spirit will take you through on each individual basis. But as a Christian, you should be suffering at some point. You should think about this. I want to I read this to you. This is a book uh, called Letters to the Churches by Francis Chan. Pretty well-known author. And... I was about halfway through, and my wife's gone, so I read all night Friday night, finished the book, because I couldn't put it down. And I want you to listen, because he addresses some of this stuff. <coughs> uh, 
as we are in a, my gosh, for the last two to three years, we've been in such a political upheaval, crazy time of, of, of really, I think it's like a fork in the road for America. We have to choose, uh, you know, are we going to be safe and start, continue to go somewhat towards God? Or are we going to say, okay, God, we're just going to let it all go and we're just going to go for whatever the flesh wants. And I see this fork in the road and I see so much, we all see it, whether it's social media or your friends or whatever, so much talk and debate and, and anger and frustration and all this stuff. And I, and I think about the intensity of even in Jesus' day. They had the same intense issue stuff going on. Maybe had a different mask, but it was very intense there. I mean, look what they did to Jesus. Publicly executed him by hanging. Whoa! And here our issues are, are big, but in a sense they're not as big. But I want you to listen to uh, what Francis Chan says about how we treat our culture and how we stand up for Christ. And, and maybe, maybe the reason you're not suffering for Christ, and I'm, I'm, pointing, I'm ta- talking to myself, is maybe because we're not standing up enough for what the Bible says. In a loving way with love, but I think a lot of us are tempted, you know, I told you about a friend I had at Verizon Wireless, he was one of my employees, I hired him, or I didn't hire him, but I hired him into my team, and I actually had two guys that were homosexuals on my team, and I remember in that battle trying to share the love of God with him, and trying to befriend him, and trying to witness to him, I always felt, felt that, that, that urge of, gosh, you, 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 you want to tell him, but do you really want to make it black and white? Because sometimes you feel if you make it too black and white, there's not love, you know. And, you, and, and, we're, and the big word now, tolerance, we're, we're tolerating a lot of things. And just listen and see what you think about this uh, part of the book. Over the past decade, it has been refreshing to see Christians have a greater awareness of people's thoughts and feelings. Rather than quickly judging and labeling people, they take time to listen to their stories and consider their hurts and desires. This is a good thing. In doing so, however, many have made the damning mistake. They have lost sight of God's thoughts and desires. In their compassion for people, listen, they have ignored the holiness of God. They have forgotten that what God feels about an issue dwarfs any human feels, what any human feels, or every human Romans 3, 4, let, ev- let God be true and that everyone else a liar. In an effort to be sensitive to others, we often lose sight of truth. When we do this, we no longer help people but damn them. True compassion takes into account far more than what a person feels today. It takes into account what he or she will feel on judgment day. Let that sink in. What some do in the name of being open-minded and compassionate is actually done out of self-love and cowardice. I have that doubly highlighted. We want to be accepted, so we listen and coddle, but refuse to rebuke. If that is love... Then the prophets, apostles, and Jesus were the most unloving people to ever walk the planet. I I, I highly recommend you get this book and read it, but nonetheless, wow. I'm going to read just a little bit more because I want you to get the heartbeat of this. On the contrary, Jesus loved so deeply that he was willing to suffer a lifetime of rejection even rejection from his father on the cross. Jesus never lost sight of God's holiness and the offensiveness of sin. He suffered for speaking truth, showing us that true love is often rejected. This, is, this was the way of Jesus. This is the way of love. We never have to run from physical suffering like our brothers. We may never have to run from physical suffering like our brothers and sisters around the world, But many have chosen to run from the suffering of rejection. 
more and more often, people are starting to water down their convictions because they don't want to offend anyone. Instead of embracing the persecution that comes with standing out from, the, from and against the world, we have begun to embrace the world to try and convince it to tolerate us. That is not the way it was supposed to be. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Church, maybe the reason you aren't suffering for Christ in the way that he wants us to is that there's been compromise in our ability to relate to this culture enough to speak truth even though it hurts. And like he said, to go and fear that rejection and be, be simply a coward because we would rather have the praises of man than the praises of God. And I want to leave you with that challenge, church, that you this week would pray and consider where you're at because God, he promised us suffering, but I want to make sure two things, you're suffering the right way, and that we question our own hearts this week with God and say, God, teach me where I need to step it up in this culture to make a stronger stand for what your word declares so that I can do this in truth and love, but nonetheless stand up and not be afraid. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much, God, for um, your word. We thank you so much for giving it all to us in the front and telling us, Lord, what it would cost to be your disciple. Lord, and I, I just pray today by your Holy Spirit, Father, that we would truly learn and grow into this understanding of suffering with you, God. Lord, you called it even in your word, the fellowship of suffering with Christ, that we could actually join with you and become more one with you, God, by experiencing and walking through the sufferings just like you did. So God, I pray that you would change our perspectives. Holy Spirit, that you would show us new truths about ourselves to help us to integrate into this world in a more powerful and realistic way to actually induce change for the gospel, Lord, instead of tolerating sin, Lord. Help us to have a mighty standard raised up in our hearts to, to honor your word and to call sin what it is. And Lord, we ask that you would always help us, though, to keep a spirit of love. But that love, God, Lord, when we think of someone running towards a cliff, we would think it pure evil to not warn them and tell them, God. But many people in this world are walking towards a cliff. They're walking to their death. If they don't have Christ, they don't turn from their sin, they're going to die. And unless we step in and stop them and warn them, God, they've got no chance, Lord. We are their chance. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the ones that you are going to do the gospel through, God. So I pray that you would put an urgency in us, God, by your spirit, Lord, to stand up for the principles of the word and the love of Jesus and the, the eternal life gift that you have for us, God. Oh, God, get us out of complacency, Lord. Get us out of spiritual laziness, Lord. Help us to stand up and be willing to suffer for it, God. Lord, help us be willing to suffer as we stand up for the gospel and fight for your love for this world. God, we, we praise you. We thank you. And God, we pray that you continue to speak to us as we seek you in the mornings, in the evenings this week, God. Talk to your kids, Lord. We want to know your voice. We want to know you more intimately. That's our heartbeat, Lord, is to know you more and more. And God, have your way in us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.